The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report by Keystone Partners. I'm Dave Hennessy, and today's guest is Bob Selly, the Chief People Officer of Ocean State Job Lot. I first saw Bob present with a couple executives from Ocean State at the NERA conference. This is in the late teens, pre-pandemic, and they wowed the audience when they described the amazing culture they've created at Ocean State. By the way, Bob's now joined the board of directors of NERA recently. And in this episode, Bob takes us through the last few years and how they've evolved as an organization, grown and kept that family atmosphere through their growth, team first, and enhanced their entrepreneurial spirit through listening to their employees and how he's created an entrepreneurial spirit inside his HR group as well. People Before Profits at Ocean State Job Lot. You'll enjoy this episode. Next up on our podcast is Ajit Vicario, the founder CEO of Flare Education. And now our conversation with Bob Sully. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Dave. It's good to see you again. Good to see you, too. We first met last fall at the NERA October conference where you were a panelist. And by the way, welcome to the board of directors of NERA. Bob, you're a new member. Really excited to be working side by side with you there. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be part of the team. Big fan of NERA, supported NERA where I could and just felt like the right next step. So thank you guys for thinking of me, too. Yes. And I remember you from I think it was maybe 2017. It was probably the most packed breakout conference I've ever seen. It was just jammed to the gills and you really wowed the crowd. We'll talk about that later. First, we want to start where we start every podcast. What's an early life moment that as you look back on it now, it was an inflection point for who you've become as a professional, as a person. So I'm from the Midwest, Iowa, and my dad was a meat packer. All of a sudden, they were moving the plant out of Dubuque, Iowa. And he came home and had to share with his family that he was no longer going to be working. He was a high school dropout. It was very, very challenging on our family. And I remember honestly saying at that time, that will never happen to me. And my parents both were all about us becoming the best versions of ourselves. And I went a little bit further than most people probably I had a couple of jobs outside of uh, playing sports, but most teenagers wore jeans to school. I even started wearing khakis to school. I wanted to emulate what at the time in the 80s, a white collar worker would be. And then I made sure that that never happened to me. And I know that my father, he passed away a few years ago. That's one of the things he, he uh, shared with me before he died, how proud he was. So that was that definitely was my inflection point. Wow. That's an interesting story. Let's talk a little bit about Ocean State and maybe start a little bit about the history. I think a lot of people listening know a little bit about Ocean State, right? Almost all of our audience, at least in the Northeast region, have been into one of your retail stores. But I don't think many people understand the history and the scale and most importantly, the culture. It might be surprising to them. And then I want to go into when you arrived. The owners of the company are Mark and Alan Perlman. 
1977, they were in New York and their first purchase was, I believe it was Macy's. And they bought a bunch of slippers that on the outside of the box said one size, but on the inside of the box, it was another size. So they took it out to a flea market and sold it for a couple bucks and it blew out. And that's kind of how it started as a flea market on the island. And then we opened our first store in North Kingstown, Rhode Island in 77. And now we're 152 stores in nine states looking to grow our state count. They're amazing. They, they haven't changed a lot. It's still a family business. They're still very much involved in um, the running of the company, which is great to super mentors and Steve Arnau. Uh, joined quickly right after him. I think Steve joined when there was just a couple stores. He also went to school with Mark. You hear a lot about opportunistic buying you know, or a closeout. So um, anytime we can get a great buy, we do. You know, Some things have normalized like a retailer. Our garden supplies, our beach is, is you know, year over year. Our food selections as good as any Trader Joe's. Alan himself makes those buys. It's just a really fun place to be and uh, very proud of what these guys have done. That's great. Can you talk a little bit about the culture for like an employee? What's it like? What do people appreciate about working there, about how people work together inside the organization? I know a lot of places say this, but our culture is still very much a, a family atmosphere. Mark, every Friday, still speaks to every store team leader, every district team leader. He does a broadcast every Friday talking about what's going on, whether it's in the world, whether it's in business. He's great about reading customer letters to our teams, recognizing our associates. That is tough to replicate. I think why we're so good is we're humble. Um, we, We don't try to be flashy. It was tough to get these guys to talk about us when when I joined the company. They didn't want to come across as bragging. You know, I shared with them that it's not bragging. It's a story that people want to know, and that's what makes a great company. When you think about a family culture, they think about what would um, our people need today. We spend a lot of time listening to our associates. You know, we actually call them more listening sessions, whether it's in the distribution center, in the stores, in the corporate office, where We've got a new HCM getting ready to launch it. And two of the first modules that we wanted to launch, one was around getting ideas from our associates and rewarding them for their ideas. And then the second one that's really going to be exciting is called Voice. And that is a survey tool. And you think of a traditional survey of 40 questions or so. I think the very first question we're going to ask them is, what is something we're asking you to do that you don't understand? So I don't know how many companies would take the time to ask that question, uh, but they would. Last week, we were giving the owners an update on the HCM and Mark asked, he asked the best questions because I think they're so simple and I can't outthink him. But it was, have you ever asked the stores, what is the administrative hang up they're having as you're trying to roll out all of these tools? And you know what the answer is, right, Dave? No. We're going to, but that's how much they care about our frontline teams and making sure that they are supported as they can be. Um, That's why I love our culture. That's great. Well, you came in, what year was it when you first joined? 2015. 
15, roughly 15, 16. Yeah, right in there. And you already had this great culture that you've described, very humble culture focused on employees. And at the same time, there were some great opportunities. What did you come in and do with the team? You know, I committed to the owners after listening to them. I remember I interviewed for a whole day with a number of people. And what I heard from the owners was that they have done really good for themselves. They are really good philanthropically with the communities. They think that they're doing um, good for the associates, but they weren't sure. And what I heard was you want to be an employer of choice. You want to be a company that not only do people come in retail, but you want to be different than other retailers. You want even part-timers to stay forever. You want the hire and you want them to retire. And they're like, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So we had to tackle a few things and, and it made total sense. They The company was pretty compliance driven. It was definitely managed from the corporate office. Uh, and I'm a big decentralized person and giving the autonomy to the people on the front lines. What folks heard at that first NERA conference was how we went about listening and then empowering and building trust uh, within the organization. That's really kind of the key message that we kind of tackled, letting them share their thoughts without worrying about repercussions. And it really took probably two years of building trust that if something went wrong, uh, nothing happened, right? Because everybody's worried about making a mistake. And that's the one thing, enough, I say one thing, um, there's a million things that I love about this company, but we truly want to fail fast and, and keep going, which is that entrepreneur spirit. And Mark really let me become an entrepreneur in the HR space, which uh, I'm incredibly grateful for. Bob, can you think of an example or two of changes the organization made after you did your listening tour and tried to implement some of those changes? Some of the things that you maybe think the employees saw that and yeah. it changed their view of the company in a positive way. One easy one, when you think of traditional HR, somebody shows up in your store, you automatically think someone's in trouble, right? So we made a very deliberate approach to getting into as many stores as we can, listening to the associates and being there to recognize and to talk to them and to listen to them. Little things like redesigning the break rooms and getting more information on the walls. And we made sure that we did that and that nothing came from them, making sure we took time to recognize them and giving them a chance to tell their stories. And if you go to LinkedIn, you know, we don't even have to promote our brand. Our our, our people do it for us. I see truck drivers posting and yeah, um, inspiring workplace awards with your employees chiming in on it. I did notice that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they've become the brand ambassadors that you always want from a team. That definitely is one of them. I think the other big noticeable difference is we did a benefit survey and we asked them a lot about what an employer of choice meant to them. And then we built our strategy around what our associates said. So we sponsored a capstone project from URI, graduate students doing, uh, before they get their MBA, they have to do that final project. And that, and that was the challenge we gave them. Work with our people and tell us what we need to do for Ocean State Job Lot to become an employer of choice. And they came back with little things, benefit tweaks. When 70% of your workforce is part-time, they're saying, I have two or three jobs. 
um, I need some sort of access to a doctor or healthcare. And so we made sure that they um, had access to that. One that we thought was going to be good, but has turned out to be great is health or life insurance for everyone. So every associate in the store, part-time, full-time, get $10,000 in life insurance. And the number of letters that we get from families that unfortunately we lost an associate that we were able to cover their, their funeral expenses is pretty amazing. Wellness days, we want everyone to get to the doctor or take a day off. We made sure that everybody is accruing those hours. Those are just a a few of those things that um, we listened to them instead of guessing. We went to them and they told us what they wanted. And I imagine now you can see how you've made a, a difference in the store culture and how yeah. they viewed corporate. What did that mean for changes at corporate headquarters? We became much more collaborative. Departments started to break down silos, get in rooms together. Uh, it's that whole feeling of trust and we're not going to throw someone under the bus that we win together and we lose together. That culture was always there. They just needed someone to come orchestrate and pull some of this stuff together, which I was lucky enough to be able to do that. Why don't we shift now to kind of like Bob 2.0 or HR 2.0 at uh, (laughs) Ocean State Job Lot. As we go into the pandemic, I'm sure you've had a host of all new problems and challenges. And where has the evolution been? The answer is our culture is stronger today because of the pandemic. And one of the big first projects outside of adding OKRs, we really wanted to review our mission, vision, and values. We been seven or eight years. And like I said, we really did change during the pandemic. So our new mission statement is to provide exceptional value to our customers while championing positive change in our communities, inspiring a more responsible model for business. So we really put a stake in the ground saying not only are we going to stay committed to our customers, but we want to be a leading company in America and we want other companies to follow our lead. We were fortunate enough to be seen as an essential retailer, but with that comes some pretty pretty sizable challenges. Our CEO pulled the leadership team together. I can remember it. It was March 12th. It was my birthday, so that's why I know this. We're in an executive conference room talking about, you know, everybody's being sent home. And when we're talking about the corporate office, you've got the IT folks saying we're Google. We're going to be able to work from home. But Mark said, listen, I just no idea where this pandemic is going, but Whatever we do, we need to make sure that we put our people in front of profit. And throughout the pandemic, at any time I needed something or someone needed something, Mark was there. And so we were one of the first retailers to get plexiglass up um, at registers because that's what our associates were asking for. Getting them masks and sanitizer for not only at work, getting them a basket or something small, to take home, because if you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, getting a mask or sanitizer was impossible. We have a couple restaurants, so we started to make food for frontline healthcare workers or the fire department. Cities started to ask for sanitizers and face masks, so our charitable arm would send pallets of needed material to frontline workers, the police and the fire departments and cities that we do business in. And our business was brisk. If you remember, you couldn't find anything on any shelf in any retailer. And Mark- I was, I was at Ocean State Job Lot then buying hand sanitizer and all those things, of course, like yeah. everybody, yeah. 
And Mark took the the profit that we had during the pandemic and shared it with everybody twice, two, two spot bonuses. I believe we're close to the first retailer that started to incentivize and add on to their base pay to make sure that they knew that we were recognizing their work. That reverberated when I got out to stores the, the associates truly could go home very proud. And you saw all the horror stories that were happening about what was happening. We worked with the state. Um, the state actually came to our corporate office and built some of their best practices around how safe that we were trying to create the workspace. Those are the things that, you know, it's one thing to say it, but to show it, I know that our associates felt truly committed to where the organization was going after the pandemic, coming out of the pandemic. For sure. Well, you talk a lot about OKRs and how you use them in HR and who your business. Can you go into a little bit more detail about how they're used and how they make an impact for your organization? The great thing about objectives and key results is it's truly our strategy. And when you think of OKRs, the company has five. And what I like most is one of them is around people, which is to demonstrate an unyielding commitment to our people which as an HR professional, you gotta be pretty excited when the head of your company says people are that important, they're going to be an OKR. That's great. Bob, you don't hear that too often. Last year, two of the three OKRs uh, were around our customers and our people. That's fantastic. Mark's son joined our company and he's now the director of strategy. And one of those things that we knew we needed was sort of that central direction. Our inspirational objectives in HR, we're trying to create shared OKRs. We could do a whole podcast on this whole person strategy that I'm trying to create. But in essence... Did you say um, whole person strategy? Yes. See? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Probably haven't heard that yet. No. Um, But I like it. So you have in an organization, you've got your risk and you've got your safety and you've got your benefits. I believe if you pull those three things together... Uh, you can take a better look at at an associate through some analytics tools to, to make sure that we're keeping them as healthy as we can be. This is a three or four year strategy to tackle this whole person approach. We now have the risk management team, the safety team, and HR all working collectively on all strategies around people. Huh. Uh, simple things like ensuring that a workers comp team would be in a hurry Typically, you want to get someone off of workers' comp. I won't say hurry, but you want to get them back. No one ever paid attention to what was the impact on the benefit side. So are you handing someone else a problem? And then if we create a safe working environment, we can drive down costs of workers' comp. And then we are creating a healthier person, which we say that, you know, we want the best version of our people inside and outside of work. Well, if that's truly what we believe, which we do. Um, We've got to tackle that in new ways. Another inspirational objective for us is this whole HCM and creating a listening culture and acting on what our associates say. It's called Bright Ideas is the way we tagged it, is to truly get our associates to start voting on what they think the best ideas in the store are. Right now, we're, we're going through a campaign in the distribution center, but then they get to vote on it and then we reward them for their ideas and we celebrate them, not the company, we celebrate them. So those are two of our big objectives in HR. Um, and the best thing about OKRs is, 
you know, you can continue to tweak them and align them, but every department has them. We meet every Wednesday and we talk about them and then the teams get closer and closer. But it's one strategy, one company pulling one way is what I love about objectives and key results. If that Bob, is there any surprises that maybe, you know, when you were looking at the voting of the bright ideas, it was not what you expected or what the leadership team was thinking, but the employees voted a certain way and it ended up really working well. Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, that's why our, our CEO is the CEO, right? He said, just ask. I'm telling you for eight years, it took me eight years to get this going, but for eight years, he's saying, just ask the janitor what room he wants, Bob. Don't go guessing what he wants. So yes, we have this freight flow process and we went and asked our, our stores and they said, well, yeah, you bought this really cool U-boat shaped thing um, to push freight out to the floor. But have you ever thought about putting shelves on it? Because there's place for shelves and then I can get more freight on on the U-boat. We're more productive and I can organize better. Yeah, That literally is just one um, yeah. example of it. And today in the distribution center, and I'm going to get this wrong, but ship to stores, you know, online shopping, there's these boxes. It doesn't say on the outside that there's multiple pieces inside. The guy's like, hey, there are multiple pieces inside. Could you just throw a label saying that it's a pick or something like that? And you sit there and you're like, there are a lot of smart people that have designed all of this work. And you have just made me hump. And that's what, but that's what I like. We really don't try to be the experts in the room. We want everybody to feel like they're part of this whole thing. Boy, it sounds yeah. like you and your team are half operations, half people, half oh. HR. Is that resonate with you at all? I brought a, a couple people from my previous employer, and all of them know that I started in operations. Ah. And so, so some people will say, Bob's just a superstore manager. Other people at a higher level will say, well, he's really an operator at heart. And that may be true, but I believe that's what makes the most successful CHROs, the ones that understand and drive the business. You know, that's where I think our profession got off track, but that's a whole nother conversation at some point. Well, we hear that more and more from our guests. Of course, we just had Josh Burson on and he said, the trend is really to get HR leaders who have worked in different parts of the business. Uh, it's something that other functions have done for a long time with management rotation programs. And the more we do yes. it, people coming out of operations, marketing, finance, it's better for our function. And uh, it sounds mm -hmm. like you wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. And you don't look at HR as a cost center. You look at it as a, a profit center. Please describe mm -hmm. Well, I didn't. So um, oh. I happened to just be talking to my my boss, the CEO, and we were coming out of uh, one of our finance meetings. I think we were putting together our strategy to drive down healthcare, like everybody's trying to do, but we were doing it by investing in it, not pulling back and raising costs for people. And we were putting together our whole strategy. And part of that conversation was just putting numbers and everybody does it to retention with Mark. And he said, Basically, Bob, I realized that you are a profit center and not a cost center. Hmm. And uh, that was one of the most rewarding things that my team and I have ever heard. Because he believes when you invest in people, it's just like investing in a redesign of a store. If you don't have happy people and you're turning all the time, that basically affects your sales. You can't get freight to the store from the DC. You can't get the people to take care of the customer. 
So I believe that's why he labeled us a profit center. I, I like it. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Bob, you mentioned your team a few times now. And what's yeah. important to you about the person that you bring in to your HR or people team? I hire athletes, I guess is the word I like to say. You do not have to be an HR professional to join uh, my team. I want folks that are learners and Mm -hmm. live in the gray and be flexible and understand that personal accolades are not what we're about. We're actually about winning as a team. Mm -hmm. My ideal dream teams are when you can move people wherever you need to move them to address whatever that certain project, concern, what have you. That's great. You made me think about recognition. So when you recognize wins as a team, how do people get that personal recognition too? Both. It's the simple thank yous. I mean, you can build whatever recognition program you want, but the the folks that would rather have me or a leader thank them at the end of a call or in the middle of a project. So I, I like to do both of those things. I will recognize publicly. It's always important, I think, to recognize publicly when we have an HR team meeting. We do a huddle virtual for everyone in HR on Wednesdays, and they'll take time there to do peer recognition as well. Bob, I've asked so many people about annual performance appraisals, and so many people have bad experiences with that and think it's a negative process. What's your approach we cause this thing to be a beast, right? And it's not any fun because of all of the rules that we put. And I'm not a big rules guy. So that's where we were. The beautiful thing with our new tool is we're going to be able to redesign the performance process. And so the ideal state for me, and and I know that I've got the senior leaders bought into this, is let's give an honest performance appraisal because it doesn't matter what generation we're in. We are humans and we need feedback and we need to be recognized for what we do. So we're not going to run away from being able to sit down and talk to our people, call it whatever you want. So that is what we're going to do, right? And the thing about OKRs, they should cascade. If you're working on something strategic, your whole team should be, right? Uh, the other thing I love about OKRs is when Dewar invented this, and it's measure what matters if anyone ever wants to read the book, you don't get paid on OKRs. That shouldn't be why you're getting paid. That's your whole company strategy. So my ideal state is the leaders, whether we call them SMART goals, cascading goals, you take your objectives, you sit down and we can have and put on paper whatever we need to put on paper with anyone on our team. So they understand what's important to them, but also what's important to the person as as an associate with Ocean State. And then I want to be able to give that performance appraisal. Let's call it January in in a couple of years, January, February, sit down and then we separate it from money. Mark will always give a raise. Mark has given a raise in the worst years of this company. Hmm. So they're always going to get some sort of COLA adjustment. And then there's going to be this extra pot that leaders are going to have to pay for performance, to recognize those people, those high potentials. And they're going to be able to do that, whether it's at review time or they wait until the middle of the summer to give them another bite of the apple throughout the year. That is my ideal state. And and I honestly would want them to also sit down with them a minimum of two times a year, if not three times, and just do some check-ins. That's great. Sounds like a good plan. I like the separation from the compensation and the performance discussion because 
you can only hear one thing. If performance and pay, you're only hearing about the pay, right? That's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Absolutely. As you know, we produce the Hennis Report at Keystone in cooperation with NERA, an organization near and dear to you and me, and mm-hmm. Megan Mandino, who mm-hmm. is our producer. She always asks the NERA question of the podcast. Megan, welcome. Thank you, Dave. I uh, just wanted to reiterate, Bob, on behalf of Nira, uh, congratulations for joining the board. Everyone's Thank very excited. Um, excited. The Nira question this time is concerning connections and the idea that so many of us have maybe changed the way that we connect with each other personally and professionally. What advice would you have to create connection within your organizations and also within your professional network? We are a creature that needs connection. So first, from a professional network perspective, you have to continue to take the initiative to connect with people that are important to you. You've got to build it into your schedule, whether you're making a note on your calendar or what have you to check in with someone. I think that that's really important. But I also think it's important to meet someone for lunch or to meet a group of people for lunch and get away from the office and just build connections. We're going to tackle that, I think, as a world soon. I just do. From a corporate perspective in a hybrid workplace, you know, what we're trying to get folks to do, we do free lunch on Fridays for everybody in the office and in our distribution center. We're trying to get the leaders to bring their teams in on a Friday so they can see each other again. I think that that's so valuable. For the stores and for the distribution center, they see each other all the time. The connection we owe them is making sure that they feel connected to the mothership and that we're out and we're visible and that we're still uh, paying attention to what's important to them. That's the way that I would attack connection. And when you talk about feeling connected to the the mothership and to make sure that because there are so many different types of employees that you have at Ocean State, mm-hmm. How is it best to go about showing rather than saying that those connections are encouraged? I think that you have to create listening sessions. Like I talk about, the leaders have to take the time to pull people together and to just talk to them about non-work related issues. I would also, in your touch bases with them, ask them how they're doing. Are they feeling connected? Ask the question. Go back to my boss, right? If you don't ask, you really don't know. And it's upon the leaders to create the environment that they have trust and that they will want to connect. But I would lead by example and show and talk about what you're doing to stay connected to um, not only your peer network, but also those that uh, you work with. All right, Bob, we're going into the speed round here. We have a few fun questions for you. If you could write a letter of career professional advice to your 30-year-old self, what would you write? I would tell that person to hold on, that they are in for a wild ride because never in a million years when I was 25 did I think that I would have taken the career path that I did. I just, it just wouldn't have happened growing up in operations, moving across the country a couple times for companies and then taking this crazy HR stop Uh, when I was at my previous employer for a year and never leaving the profession. Um, (laughs) I would tell myself that you're going to win sometimes and you're going to lose sometimes and that whatever you do, you have to stay authentic to yourself because your strength is connecting with people 
and getting people to believe in you. So don't stop believing in what's important to you or you're not going to make it through. And then I would tell myself, you got to have some fun. Uh, Don't stop making work fun and doing those things that are unexpected, that the white collar workforce you grew up in when you were in your 20s is much different than the workforce today. And I think that the reason that the workforce has changed is because of the Gen X folks like myself that refused to um, give in to what the boomers were requiring of work. How's that for an answer? <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> and what do you want to make sure you don't leave undone over the next five years or so? I believe we're at an inflection point. We're watching all of these big companies trying to undo all of the great work that was created during the pandemic, the, the flex work, mm-hmm. the trusting of your people, Every day I'm seeing people try to create the culture that was instead of listening and understanding that the culture during the pandemic, although there may have been issues um, with some people, don't major in the minors. And if we let them, we're going to slide back further than we want to. And everyone's going to be back in an office and nothing will have changed. Right. And so I refuse to let that happen. Right. What's something that was a pretty strongly held belief about corporate work or HR that you had that you changed your mind about over time? My strongly held belief until 2004. So quite a part of my first part of my career was you had to be competitive and you had to win. I definitely left a wake of people that I could have brought along with me, but I was pretty selfish. And until I got feedback and feedback can be a, a beautiful thing. And it was a mentor of mine told me that you're going to go further by taking people with you. And it's OK if somebody else wins once in a while, Bob, that it's going to reflect on you. I, I trusted that person. And then over the next couple of years, I, I worked diligently at trying to do that. And it's absolutely true of what took place that Not only did they blossom, the team blossom, and then I obviously was able to grow my career from there. Wow, that's powerful advice. That's good. Do you have a surprising or interesting fact about you? Yeah, people don't know that I'm afraid of heights. Uh, Why would you, right, if you didn't really know me? But for what it is, I am. And I wasn't. Growing up, I would jump off bridges in the Mississippi. I mean, and then I think it was the summer after 9-11. We met some friends in Chicago in the Hancock building to the observatory and we're cruising along maybe at the 20th floor. And then all of a sudden over the intercom, you hear this voice of God saying, this is Hancock security. Is everything okay in the elevator? Yeah. And it's a packed elevator. I'm literally panicked and my wife will still laughs about it. But um, I got upstairs and tried to recover. And then all of a sudden everything got woozy and I had to grab the wall. I couldn't get near the window. And I went straight back down, had a Sam Adams, waited for everybody. And I have never been able to do tall buildings. Even wow. even if I've had to go into Boston to for a meeting or a conference, there's that glass building. Well, I think it used to be the Hancock in Boston is a glass yeah. building. Yeah. There, that's irony. So I struggled getting to a meeting because they had the windows and the place set up by the windows. I went right to the middle, sat down, didn't look left or right. I don't think I remembered a thing that was said that day. Wow. 
the last concert you've been to or your favorite musician? <laughs> well, that just happened. I still haven't recovered from the weekend. I flew to Milwaukee. It was Harley Davidson's 120th anniversary this past weekend in Milwaukee, and they had two great days of music. So I got to see Green Day on Friday night. Wow. And then Saturday night, I got to see the new version of Foo Fighters uh, with their new drummer. It was crazy. I did hold up, so I was very proud of myself. I didn't think I would, but I made it through. Got to see Joan Jett, too. She still jams. Uh, That's great. It was, just, it was just a good time. So my favorite musician, it's either Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder or, or Dave. Dave yeah, Pearl. that's awesome. I just saw one of my favorite musicians on Saturday. Uh, you probably know her, Jenny Lewis. I'm sure you yeah, know Jenny Lewis, that. Rilo yeah. Kiley. She was great. Was Still it? incredible. Oh, incredible performance. Yeah. yeah. I even posted on Twitter a picture of her saying how great it was. And she retweeted it. I was like, <laughs> wow. Congrats. Congrats. I love music. It brings us all together, I think. I mean, it was it's those inflection points where I, I kind of stood back and I was watching my kids I like to videotape my kids. I have four. My youngest is is 18. My oldest is um, going to turn 26 and get married in September. So we got together one more time around music. But it was cool to just watch everyone. And and I remember in between bands, one of my kids said, this is so cool. All of the different walks of life here together, having fun together. And I said, this is what kind of the world's supposed to be. I don't know where we got off track, but this is what it's supposed to be about. That's great. So it was pretty cool. Megan's question about connection. Music certainly does that, right? That's right. So that's my answer now, Megan. Let's get a band and get everybody you want to connect with and have them come to a show. <laughs> um, favorite book? John Kabat-Zinn. When I was going through my mindfulness stage, and knowing that I had to do a better job of taking care of myself, that book was actually recommended to me. And the book was Where You Go, There You Are. And he was a pioneer in the meditation space. And it's a simple book that talks about making meditation and mindfulness easy, um, because it's true. Wherever you go, that's where you're at. <laughs> and, um, it certainly is. <laughs> I've shared it with a number of people, and everyone that's read it really does like it. Even my kids, I've, I've given it to uh, because it's so simple and easy to apply. That's great. Yeah. Now you've shared it with our audience too. Well, it's so great having you on the Hennessy Report, and we'll see you at Nera soon. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.